went through a time of extreme brokenness and confusion, uh, Michelle and I started talking about uh, three statements um, and a question, sort of. And it was basically the statement, God is good, with a period. So we just sometimes, as Christians, we say, yeah, God is good. Nothing too exciting, nothing too devastating. And it's just a statement, God is good, with a period. But then we went through periods in our life when we were just like, God is good, question mark. Is God really good? Does God really care about me? Where is this goodness? Where is this greatness? Where is this awesomeness of who God is? And so not only is God is good with a period, but God is good with a question mark, but then there is God is good with an exclamation point. God has come through and God has rescued and God has delivered and that is the God I want, is a God who is a God with an exclamation point. This morning I want to throw out three different questions to us that I think we all will be honest, we all struggle with. I know that I struggle with them in the midst of my pain and my brokenness still and trying to figure out how to live the Christian life. And the first question, which I think all of us struggle with, is this question. Is God angry with me? Is God mad at me? You see, there's circumstances in life that occur, and you start to ask this question. In fact, I, I have to be honest, even in the midst of singing this morning, I think it was maybe during the second song, my mind started to wander about different thoughts I've had in my life when I felt that God was angry at me and God was frustrated with me. And it starts at an early age. I remember being in school and just an event or a party or something and I'm not invited to go to it. And you start asking the question, is God angry at me? Or is I grow and get older and I'm playing sports and the coach puts me on the bench or takes me out of the game or I never get in the game. I'm like, is God angry at me? And as I get older and start experiencing life and have setbacks after setbacks, I start to ask myself, is God angry? Even as a pastor, I wonder, is God angry at me when Somebody at church is upset with me or somebody writes me one of those nice anonymous letters and I'm starting to ask myself, what's going on, God? I, I, I'm trying to be obedient, to, as Lowell was talking about, being obedient to, to the call. And I'm sure you've been there. Maybe it was sickness. Maybe it was divorce. Maybe it's just you feel stuck in your marriage. Maybe it's a prodigal son. Maybe it's a job situation and you're asking the question, is God angry with me? And when you start to ask that question, it soon turns to another question. And this is a question that many of us struggle with. Does God really care? Does God really care about me? Does he care about my pain? Does he care about my brokenness? Does he care about my situation? I've shared at different times, I, I've had multiple surgeries on my eye. And I remember when I first had my torn retina and I had major surgery on it and I had oil in my eye and I was just so devastated because it was just 
just it was a horrible experience that I went through with this torn retina and I was very scared and and I was so glad when the surgery was over and I could look through a pinhole and I could see 2020 but then it just started to happen another surgery on my eye and another surgery on my eye another surgery on my eye and I think I think it was after I had a cataract surgery and things just still just didn't get better and I had went to the eye doctor and they said you're, you're going to have to have another surgery and I think Michelle was driving me but I just got in the, the car and I just started bawling and I'm just like God where are you at do you even care do you care about my eyesight I, I love to read I love to study and now I'm having trouble and, and just it affects me in so many different ways. God, do you really care? And dependent upon how patient or impatient you are as a person, when you feel stuck or frustrated or hurting and broken, that question sometimes comes very quickly if you're an impatient person. Does God really even care? Is God even listening to my, my prayer request? Is, does he want to bring me relief? And from knowing the New Testament, hopefully some of you know that we are to cast our cares upon God because he does truly care for us. The third question, I think, is one we find ourselves in almost on a daily experience. And this is the third question. When will God rescue me? When's God going to come to my rescue? Doesn't he see that my marriage is hurting? Doesn't he see that my children are out of control? Doesn't he understand? And isn't he going to bring a rescuer? Hasn't he looked at my checkbook lately? Doesn't he know that I don't have a job? When, when's he going to bring relief? When, doesn't he know that I don't have any friends and I feel isolated and I feel alone and I feel dark and I, I feel depressed and I feel angry and, and the, the walls just seem to be keep, keep closing in on me and... When is God going to rescue me? When is God going to save me? When is he going to deliver me? I've lived here. I still live here. And what I have learned over the course of time is that when I start to answer these questions, I find myself being more isolated and more lonely and feeling abandoned, not just by God, but by others because I am trapped in my mind, struggling to understand what is happening in my life. I'm a Christian. I'm a follower. For me, I'm a pastor. What is going on here? Why do I feel this way? And why do I have these questions? This morning, I want to talk about loneliness because I, I feel like if we struggle with these questions, we probably also struggle with feeling lonely. In fact, most Americans, most Christians say that they struggle with loneliness. Not just being alone, but feeling lonely and isolated. And that nobody really even cares. And that nobody is ever going to come to our rescue. Let's forget about talking about God right now. We feel like other people are angry with us. We feel like nobody cares about our circumstances and our situation and we feel like no one even wants to reach out a hand and to sit with us and to listen to us and to help us in our journey. I want to give a definition this morning of loneliness. 
And um, then I'm going to give a definition of feeling abandoned. Loneliness is when we feel we have no one to sit with us in our pain. I chose the word feelings because, or to feel, because sometimes our feelings do play tricks on us. But loneliness is real. And when we start to feel that there is no one, not even our spouse or our children or our grandparents or our friends or our classmates or somebody at work or and especially at church, when we start to feel that there is just no one present who will sit with us, it starts to hurt. And we're going to see in a little bit, especially during the dark times and in the evenings. I've talked with family members, I've, I've talked with people in the church, especially those maybe who are older and who have been married for a long time and they lose a spouse. And I'll go over and I'm sitting with them either at their table or sitting on the couch and I'm listening to them and, and they'll say to me, Mark, I just never understood how lonely I feel, especially at night. There's no one present. There's no one here to talk to, to listen. In some situations, probably to get upset with. You know, there's, there's nobody here anymore. And when we start to feel that, especially not only in our families, but in our church family, loneliness becomes very overwhelming. And it turns into anger and depression and frustration. But we're going to see in a little bit, God never intended us to, to just feel lonely. And that we have no one there to sit with us. But there's actually a situation I think is a little bit worse. And that is abandonment. Abandonment is when we feel others have specifically chosen not to sit with us. Which is radically different than just feeling like there's no one out there. You know that there's people out there, but because of your sin or because of your situation or because of their own pain or their own circumstances or they're too busy or they're too distracted. You, you know that they could be sitting with you, but they're specifically choosing not to sit with you. One of the books I've been working through is a book by Brene Brown, and I would really encourage you to, to be picking it up. It's not really a, a Christian book, even though she has Christian principles in it. And she's, she's talking about braving the wilderness. And she was talking about a time in her life when she was feeling really lonely and isolated and she started to drink too much. And she, she made the decision to go to AA. And she went to an AA meeting and guess what they told her? You really don't belong in AA. And she's like, what, what has happened in this world when you can't even go to an AA meeting and be accepted? And I think sometimes we feel that in the church. We, we go to church and we think church should be the place of acceptance, but we know so-and-so, instead of having a tear for us, they have a judgmental eye. And they're condemning us or they're speaking ill of us. And no one wants to feel lonely, but no one wants to feel 
abandoned. And again, sometimes I believe this, this can be tricky because this is a feeling and sometimes this, this can be real or this can be imagined. I've been around church long enough and even in my own situation, sometimes I feel like people don't want to sit with me but they really do want to sit with me but the images I'm you know, giving them is come here but then I keep putting up my arm. And I block them from coming because you don't really want to be here with me or I'm such a negative person or you, you, you start blocking them and yes, they, they, they don't come near to you. And so we need to be careful, but these are real topics that I believe are hitting at us on all angles. But I believe the Bible has an answer for this. I want to look at a verse, and we'll be looking at it in greater detail, but it's this verse. And I highlighted it, and it's a verse that I think you should read over and over again. And I fell in love with it one time when I was in a crisis, and I was like, aha, this describes where I'm at. This describes my story. It's, I'm like a desert owl of the wilderness, like an owl of the waste places. I lie awake, and I'm like a lonely sparrow on a housetop. And if you notice, I highlighted there, there's three birds, three individual birds, and one is a desert owl. Some of your translations may say a pelican or a, a buzzard or a raven. I like the term desert owl. And then the other one is just a, a plain old owl. And then there is the sparrow. And it's described as a lonely sparrow. But it's a sparrow. And so I was trying to find, is there anything positive in here? You know, owls are known for wisdom, and maybe you're, you're a wise person and when you're more alone and when you're isolated, or a sparrow. You're, you're singing a beautiful song in the midst of your pain. But as I continue to study and I continue to research, I, I notice that these birds are also described in Leviticus. These are ver birds that are unclean. They're defiled. And started doing more research. These are, are terms of birds that describe abandonment, darkness, sometimes demonic activity. But the heart of it is, is being unclean. And so I'm like, uh-oh, this, this is not a pleasant place, but this is what loneliness does to us. This is what isolation does to us. It, it takes us into dark places that we don't want to be. But then I started looking at it, and not only these terms of these birds that he uses to describe, but then notice the places, wilderness, waste places, housetop. He, he's talking about going to a place that none of us want to go. None of us want to go to the wilderness. If you pick up a book like I did, Braving the Wilderness, you must feel like, oh, I don't want to be there, but I feel like I'm there. I'm stuck. And we think of the Old Testament. We think of the Israelites wandering around for 40 years. They were just stuck in the wilderness. And there was no life. They were thirsty. They were hungry. They were disappointed. They, they had their doubts about who God was. Nobody wants to be in the wilderness. Nobody wants to be in a waste place. Literally, it's a junkyard. It, it, it's, a, it's a waste pile. Devastation has set in. 
Now, it may sound good to be a housetop, but basically the, the picture there, the Old Testament picture of sitting on a housetop is it's dark at night. And again, darkness and evening is a place and a time when many of us feel we feel lonely and isolated. And this bird is all by himself and just chirping. And I think the picture is not singing a song in pain. It's like, I, I, I'm crying out, but there's no one here to even hear my cries as I look out at life and I look at my circumstance and I'm disappointed. It's a powerful verse. And if I stopped here, I, I would be saying death wins, disappointment wins, but that is not where it ends. Let's look closely at this, and I would encourage you to turn out your turn out, turn in your Bibles to Psalm 102, um, or if you got your phone, take out your phone. You need to see what is going on here, and I want to describe loneliness a little bit more so that we can have an understanding of what is going on and why we feel lonely. And I'm going to use this psalm sort of to describe it. Psalm 102 says this. Verse 1, he says, Hear my prayer, O Lord, let, me cr let my cry come to you. Literally, he's shaking his fists at God saying, Hear me, listen to my cry, listen, listen, I am begging you, God, come to my rescue. He's desperate, he's needy. Notice what he says in verse 2. Do not hide your face from me in the day of my distress. Literally, God, don't abandon me. Don't, don't leave me here all by myself. Incline your ear to me. Answer me speedily. I love that. In the day when I call, Lord, I'm getting very impatient. I want you to answer me, and I want you to answer me yesterday. Not just today, yesterday. I want to know that you're listening to my prayers. Then verse 3 says, For my days pass away like smoke, and my bones burn like a furnace. My heart is struck down like grass and has withered. I forget to eat my bread. Because of my loud groaning, my bones cling to my flesh. He's in pain. He's in anguish. He, he's feeling all alone. There was a time when Michelle and I, we had just been through the ringer over and over and over again and so we went to counseling and it was sort of hard for me because as a pastor I, I have tons of counseling friends and I sort of struggle do I want to go to one of my friends who's a counselor or not um, do I want them to know my story my baggage but went to this guy I played basketball with and his name was Brad and we were in there and we were sharing our story and he had knew he knew about my eye surgeries and Actually, I had an ACL surgery at that time as well. And he said to me, he said, he said Mark, I, I need to stop here. And I need to ask you, are you in pain? And I was like, yes, I'm in pain. I'm telling you my story. He's like, no, are you in physical pain? I said, what? No, I'm not in any physical pain anymore. He goes, do you know that you are groaning? And I'm like, what? He's like, yes, you, you, you groan. There's a groan to you, and I can hear it. 
And this is what the psalmist is saying. Because of my loud groaning, my bones cling to my flesh. I'm at a point of feeling desperate. He says, I'm like a desert owl of the wilderness, like an owl of the waste places. I lie awake and I am like a lonely sparrow on the housetop all the day my enemies taunt me. They're making fun of me. Those who deride me use my name for a curse. For I eat ashes like bread and mingle tears with my drink. Literally he's saying, I'm mourning, I'm grieving, I'm lamenting the situation. And he's asking the question, is God angry? And he's come up to the conclusion, God is angry. He says, because of your indignation and anger. For you have taken me up and thrown me down. Basically, you've taken me to the woodshed and you've spanked me. My days are like an evening shadow and I wither away like grass. He's saying, my life is going quickly here. My my story is getting shorter rather than longer. And I'm feeling it and it's closing in on me. Here's what we need to know about loneliness. Loneliness is a byproduct of living in a fallen world, a world that is constantly changing. You see, since Genesis, since the beginning of time, when Adam and Eve fell, the first emotion that is expressed, it says that they had shame. You see, when they were naked, they they felt no shame. They were unashamed. But then when they sinned and they disobeyed God, they felt shame. And how do you know they felt shame? Well, they hid. And they hid from God and they hid from each other. And they tried to cover up their issues. And ever since Adam and Eve chose to disobey God and Before we blame Adam and Eve, we would have done the same thing, and we continue to do the same thing. We continue to doubt God and to think he's holding out on us, and we question God just like I started with. But ever since then, there's been trials and tribulations because of the fallen world, and if you continue to read in Genesis, it affects our relationships and it affects our work. And, And where you're feeling lonely today is in your relationships and that's probably where you have some friction and some trouble or some problems or some hurt or some pain is because of the relationships that have been broken but also in your work or where you get your worth your significance your 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 security and what you do with your hands and your heart and your mind and your feet And there's always going to be friction there and what you're trying to do and what you're trying to accomplish. It's a byproduct, though, of living in a fallen world. And one of the byproducts is this world is always changing. Circumstances are changing. In all likelihood, uh, I I would sort of give you the, the Reader's Digest version of this, the condensed view of probably what's going on here. The psalmist is looking out over Jerusalem. And for an Israelite, they never thought that God would judge Jerusalem or Judea. They thought as Israelites, God was on their side. They thought God was going to protect Jerusalem. It was probably, it's post-David. It's post him being a king. And probably this, maybe he's a priest. Maybe he's some sort of a leader. 
And he's looking out over at Jerusalem and he's like, I can't believe what I'm seeing. The circumstances have changed. Probably Babylon, this is the Babylon captivity. Everybody's been taken away. The walls are broken down, the temples destroyed. And he's like, I never thought we would be here. You see, we live in a world because of the fall that is constantly changing. Those circumstances change every day. And for some of us, it changes with the death of a loved one. Sometimes it changes with a work situation that is no longer what we thought it was going to be. Sometimes it changes when our kids get older and they start making decisions that we wish they wouldn't make and things start to happen and things start to change. Circumstances change. And some, for some of you, some of your loneliness is here at church because the church is changing because the world is changing and we're changing and things constantly change. And dealing with that change is hard. And it causes us to run and hide. But we're going to see here in a little bit, there are answers to living in a world of uncertainty. Here's the second thing we need to know about loneliness. Loneliness feels like we are trapped on a deserted island with no one to rescue us. I'll never forget when we had lost our, our, our children and um, very painful time in our lives. And we went away to Colorado to, to find some healing. And one of the people we met up with was a lady named Verdell Davis. And Verdell, um, she lost her husband. He actually was on the board of Focus on the Family. And he was one of those four men on, the, on a plane that crashed, I think, in either in Portland or Canada, as they were going to a retreat center for a board meeting. And Verdell wrote a book. I would encourage you to read it. It's called Help Me to Grieve, But Not Forever. And she realizes that we need help with our grief, but we just can't hold on to it forever. And we sat down, and we were talking to Verdell, and she started talking about the pain that we had gone through. And she says, it's like going on an island. And whatever that situation that you're going through, and we had our own circumstances, and she says, that puts you on an island, and then it puts you on another island, and then it puts you on another island, and then it puts you on another island. And loneliness is that feeling that nobody understands because I'm the only person going through that. But again, that, that, that's a lie from Satan. Other people, they're hurting too, and they feel like they're on an island. And so when we, we look at this, that loneliness feels like we are trapped, we need to understand that there is a God who does want to rescue us and come alongside of us. I am so glad that my Bible does not end at verse 11. Because if it ends at verse 11, it is just depression and anger and frustration and just shaking our fists at God and saying, where are you? But notice verse 12. Notice verse 12. He says, but you, O Lord, are enthroned forever. In the midst of uncertainty, there is a certainty. In the midst of change, there is someone who never changes. 
you could break it up that the first 11 verses are talking about suffering and 12 and on are talking about God's sovereignty. I believe it's talking about, in verses 11, changing circumstances in the midst of unchanging God, unchanging Lord. Notice what he says, but you are enthroned forever and you are remembered throughout all generations. Literally saying you are God no matter which generation it is. You are God and you're always going to be God and you're going to be Lord. Notice what he says in verse 13. He says, you will arise and have pity on Zion. It is time to favor her. The appointed time has come. You know, we just, the last song we sang was death was arrested. And we've been set free. 12 and 13 is talking about the life and the freedom and being rescued. And, and we have life now. We have hope. Verse 14, for your servants hold her stones dear and have pity on her dust. We remember the pain, but that's not going to control us. Notice what it says in verse 15. Nations will fear the name of the Lord and all the kings of the earth will fear your glory. It doesn't mean, ooh, they're going to be afraid. It means that they're going to respect and there's, there's going to be a healthy respect for who the Lord is and his glory and that he is in control and that he is certain and he is unchanging. Notice what it says. For the Lord builds up Zion. He appears in his glory. He regards the prayer of the destitute and does not despise their prayer. God is listening even when we think he isn't listening. Why? Because that's who God is. God is sovereign. He is good. He is loving. And he is listening. And he is watching. Notice verse 18 says, let this be recorded for a generation to come so that a people yet to be created may praise the Lord. Talking about us. There is going to be a time and looking forward to Jesus Christ sitting on the throne. Notice what he says, that he looked down from his holy height and from heaven the Lord looked at the earth to hear the groans of the prisoners to set free those who were doomed to die. He says that they may declare in Zion the name of the Lord and in Jerusalem his praise when the peoples gather together in his kingdoms to worship the Lord. Here's what we need to know about loneliness. We need to see this. Loneliness is defeated. Whoops, I went too far here. Loneliness is defeated when we embrace the unchanging nature of a of our Lord and his promises. You see, I said that this was a priest. He was probably looking out at Jerusalem, but he knew that, that God had promised. He, he hadn't made a covenant with his people after 70 years. I'm coming back. I'm coming back to restore and to build up. And we as Christians, we have hope as well. We have hope in the Lord that he is going to restore us and build us up. And his promises are true that he will never leave us. He'll never forsake us. He is for us. He's not against us. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. He's on our side. And there is nothing that can separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. You see, loneliness is defeated when we embrace this unchanging nature of who God is. God is good. God is loving. God is great. God is awesome. God is sovereign. God is in control. God is holy. God is on task. 
to build his kingdom and to build his church. And the gates of hell will not prevail against it. We are on the move as Christians because God is on the move. Here's the next point that I want, and I would want us to see this very clearly. Loneliness is defeated when we invite or we come. There's two angles of this. Either we're lonely and hurting and we invite Christ into our lives and those to comfort us, or we're going about the business of coming and I think I got that reversed there. We're either coming to the invitation of Christ and his comforters or we're inviting others to come to Christ and his comforters. You see, there, there's verses in Scripture that sort of highlight this. These are, these are what I call five key verses that will help us understand the direction that God wants to, to understand when it comes to sit with me. Matthew 11, Jesus is saying, come to me. Come to me, all you who are burdened and stressed out and overwhelmed and confused. Come to me, and what does Jesus say? I will give you rest. If you're lonely and hurting, guess what? Jesus is saying, come. It's an invitation to come. Luke 10 teaches us that the Good Samaritan, when others are hurting, we need to to go and we not only need to sit with them we need to love them and reach out and break down through the barriers and we need to show them the love of Christ Romans 12 is a great picture of what the church is supposed to be about in fact this series is based upon that that we need to rejoice with those who rejoice we need to weep with those who weep we need to be hospitable we need to do good to all people that's Romans 12 2 Corinthians though is where I want us to, to end this morning because I think it's a good picture of understanding that we come to Christ and we come to his comforters. So if you would, turn to 2 Corinthians real quick. 2 Corinthians. If Paul could give us a picture of what the church is to be about, I, th I think that he could maybe just stop with 2 Corinthians. And notice verse 3 of chapter 1. He says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort. Who is God? God this is the unchanging God. He, he's the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort. Verse 4, He comforts us in all of our afflictions. It, it, it's not just death. It's difficulties and trials and tribulations we go through. He says, so that we will be able to comfort those who are in any affliction. With the comfort, with those we ourselves are comforted by God. For we, for as we share abundantly in Christ's suffering, so through Christ we share abundantly in his comfort too. You see, as Christians, it doesn't mean a free ticket to no pain, no trials, no tribulations. He's saying we're going to have them. But guess what? We get access to his comfort too. Verse 6, if we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation, your rescue, your deliverance. If we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which you experience when you patiently endure the same sufferings that we suffer. Our hope for you is unshaken, for we know that as you are sharing our sufferings, you will also share in our comfort. 
Paul's expectation was that we would sit with one another in their pain. Why? Because we have sat with Christ and he has provided comfort and encouragement to us. And probably the most overlooked three verses of what Paul's story is all about. And when I share this with people, they're like, really? Paul was there? Yes, Paul was there. He says, for we do not want you to be ignorant, brothers, of the affliction we experienced in Asia. We were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Paul was depressed. Paul was suicidal. Paul was questioning, what is God up to? Notice what he says, but he says, indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death. He's like the desert owl in Psalm 102. But that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. He delivered us from such a deadly peril and he will deliver us. On him we have set our hope that he will deliver us again. You must also help us by prayer so that many will give thanks on our behalf for the blessing granted us through the prayers. There is a cure for loneliness. There is a cure for abandonment. There is a cure for depression. And it's called Jesus Christ in his church. And we are called not only to be comforted by God, but to comfort one another as well.